good night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martinis Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the French capital and bring you other small batch spirits news from France and beyond. So you know how everybody always says that red wine and cheese go great together. Well, I don't always think they're right. So I'm really excited to have my good friend and wine educator in the studio today, Preston Moore, who we're going to talk to, to about a little bit about wine and cheese pairing and what you should be doing. Preston is originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he came to Paris to complete his studies in art history. As of now, he's lived in France for over 15 years, and he holds a diploma in wines and spirit from the, Preston, do you say WSET or WESET or WSET? WSET. Okay, WSET, as well as a master's in hospitality and tourism management. In 2011, he founded Paris by the Glass, which uh, provides serv- uh, where he provides services as a wine educator and tour guide for visitors who would like to dig below the surface of French wine and gastronomy. And starting this year, he has taken on a new role in sales and business development for Chateau de Pomard. And we will talk a little bit more about that in detail in the interview. So welcome, Preston. Thank you, Forrest. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm happy that you're here too, not just because I like to see you, but you know I'm super excited to talk about this topic. So first, before I jump into things, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new job and, and what you're doing at um, Chateau de Pomard? Sure. Well, I've just started. Um, it's been about two months, and uh, I am in charge of sales for the East Coast of the U.S. So Chateau de Pomard was first founded in 1726, so we're quite an old uh, estate. Uh, we have two beautiful chateaus on our property and about 20 hectares of our own vines. Um, we're in Pomard. Um, the name of, of our chateau um, comes from, from the name of the town where we're located, uh, and we sell some fabulous wines, about 25 different wines that we uh, make and um, and ship basically all over the world. So uh, I'm in charge for the, uh, of sales for the U.S. and uh, really developing our business since we're not as well known in the U.S. as we are here in France or in Europe. Uh, part of my job is organizing special events and tastings and different exciting things um, uh, for us to really share our wines with fine wine lovers. So mm, I'm really excited. I'm a fine wine lover. So if you're organizing something and you need people to invite, you know where to go. I'll think of you. Okay. Um, so on the wine topic, you know, here we're here to talk about wine and cheese pairing. And I, as I said in the introduction, I just don't believe that cheese, cheese always pairs with red wine. You know, everybody says red wine and cheese. It's a marriage made in heaven. Uh-uh, I don't think so. And it's a topic close to my heart because, as you know, um, Jennifer Greco, who was on the show quite some time ago to talk about New Orleans, she and I do a, a cheese and cocktail pairing project. And I just think there's so many more ways to do justice to cheese. So what's your thought on the red red wine and cheese pairing? I, I'm with you on this. Exactly. I mean, uh, as you said, I've been living in France for uh, a little over 15 years. And, you know, typically here you go to French family um, home for dinner and there's the, you know, the ubiquitous cheese platter that comes out and and typically you'll you'll find a glass of red wine to accompany that um, but I think part of what's so great about being in the wine education business in France um, where I'm not French I mean I you know I'm French by nationality now but only ha- by by means of having lived here for so long um, by coming here with a little different mindset um, I think you can kind of change the rules a little bit um, and 
I agree with you completely that red wine really isn't always the best pairing for cheese. I mean, there certainly are some some cheeses that go very well with, with red wines. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think what's really fun to do is to try um, cheeses with whites first and then try different cheeses with um, sweet wines or with different uh, types of even, um, you know, more aperitif wines are quite good. You know, some of the fortified wines are excellent with cheeses as well. And um, and I, I think that most of this comes from here in France. It's just typically there's two factors that play into this. First, I think um, it's really just the fact that cheese comes after the main dish. Uh, and in most homes, traditionally, you know, main dish would be a meat course. Um, and in a very fancy dinner, you'd have fish course, then a meat course, and then cheese um, and salad either before or after the cheese, etc. Um, so by nature of the cheese coming in at that point in the dinner, uh, there happened to be bottles of red wine still open and people would just serve themselves the same wine that was passed around during the um, during the meat course, um, but us as being you know f- French adoptive citizens, I would say um, we can kind of approach things differently. Of course, as you know, wine um, your cheese is approached you know very differently in, in America or in other countries. We often have it as an appetizer, so it's a great way for you to experiment with other wines when you're having cheese before dinner. Um, but that's really you know kind of why we do it this way here in France. Um, and most French people, I think, too. Um, just kind of associate the two uh, things together. And it isn't until maybe about 10 or 15 years ago that sommeliers and different wine professionals started saying, hey, let's back up the bus here and, and talk yeah. about, you know, white wine with cheese. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I agree with that. Um, so what do you think makes for a good wine and cheese pairing? I think the most important thing to really take into account when you're planning any food and wine pairing is the makeup of the wine. Uh, and what I mean by that is the most kind of the, 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 the most apparent characteristic for most wines would be the acidity. Um, there's acid in every wine, you know, in white, red, rosé, sparkling, sweet. Every single wine has acidity. Um, but depending on where that wine was made, the grape variety it's made from, um, and the methods in which it was made, there'll be a certain a varying level of acidity. And what acidity does is it activates your salivary glands. And you can try this very simply with lemon juice. I mean, sure, you've all had lemon water or lemon juice before, and, you know, you get that kind of tingle on the side of your 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 um, tongue um, well that's acidity in a very pronounced version um, so hopefully wine isn't that acidic I mean I've had some terrible ones that are kind of that acidic they'll take the enamel off your teeth but um, good quality wines you know shouldn't do that um, but they should offer some kind of refreshment value um, and acidity is really the backbone of a wine and it allows your mouth to kind of um, cleanse itself to cleanse your palate while you're eating things and by nature of cheese being quite rich and salty uh, you you know a wine that's relatively high in acidity usually goes well with cheese just because it can kind of come in and and really reset your palate after every bite um, and every sip of wine that you have. Um. I think that's something that we found, Jennifer and I, in our cheese and cocktail project, is that the cocktails that have um, citrus in them that have lemon juice or lime juice are working really well with a lot of cheeses, I imagine, for that same exact reason, as opposed to things that are heavier that, you know, are just kind of all spirits-based. Um I want to talk about, I don't even know if there's a question here, but it's kind of a public service announcement. I want to talk about temperature. Now, I know that, you know, wines have particular temperatures that they should be served at to be best enjoyed. And, um, but it's important for cheese too. So one thing I'm just sort of reminding listeners that it's important not just to think about the temperature of your wine, but the temperature of your cheese. So you want it to be room temperature. You don't want it to be cold. You don't want to be serving cheese when it's all hard and it hasn't started to get runny and gooey. 
Is it, do you have any other thoughts or advice on sort of temperature when it comes to wine and cheese pairing? Uh, I think maybe just some more general comments about uh, wine temperature. Um, most restaurants and most people serve wine at improper temperatures. Um, common problems would be white served far too cold. Um, and you can try this at home and, um, you know, white wine, a good quality white wine won't taste really like anything when it's served too cold. Um, and for the other, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, reds are often served too warm, uh, typically in restaurant settings in our homes, you know, are now quite warm places. And, uh, if that bottle has been sitting in your kitchen or even in your living room, um, you know, for the last couple of weeks, um, it's probably far too warm to consume. So I generally recommend, um, putting reds in the fridge for about 30 minutes before you drink them. Um, that's kind of a general rule, rule of thumb. Um, you know, maybe less so in the winter time, um, depending on where they're coming from. Um, there's really no rule in certain temperatures, but I think um, the best way to kind of gauge this is to really touch the bottle of that red wine. And if it feels kind of cool to the touch to your hand, then that's probably the right temperature. It shouldn't be ice cold, but it should just feel cool, like, like, um, glass. Um, and with whites, what I will do is pull them out of the refrigerator for, you know, a half an hour before, um, you drink them and that will bring it up to a warmer temperature where you can really enjoy it. Um, but just like you said with cheese, you know, it's very important to, to serve these things at the right temperature. You get, you don't get as nearly as many flavors out of them. Um, so those are kind of some general rules. There was interesting bit of, of kind of research that was done recently about how to properly cool down a bottle as well. Um, and they did some tastings of wine that had been stored in a regular refrigerator, a wine refrigerator, or uh, a bottle that had been put in an ice bucket. Uh, and in almost all situations, the wine that was put in the ice bucket for 30 minutes, um, a white wine we're talking about, uh, that was brought down to temperature in ice actually tasted better. Oh, really? um, okay. So this is something I want to try at home and really kind of get a better idea for myself. But um, it's something quite interesting that the actual way of, of chilling the wine might actually affect how it tastes in the end, too. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think there's so many things that that do affect the way wine tastes. You know, there's also been sort of studies, maybe just sort of, you know, um, casual studies where um, when you're blind tasting, and I don't mean blind tasting, you don't know the wine, but you don't know when you're drinking out of a black glass, so you can't see if it's white or if it's red, and and how that changes people's perceptions of what they're drinking. So I think all of that's interesting. The temperature, visuals, all of them add so much to, to your experience of the wine. And I completely agree with you on the temperatures with the red not always being a little cool enough and the white being way too cool. But in practice, I never do what you've said, and I think those are really good guidelines. So I am going to try to actually put that into practice in my in my real life. So, and if you have one of those wine fridges, um, dial it into twelve degrees Celsius, which is about fifty five Fahrenheit, and store your reds and your whites at that temperature. Oh, okay. And the white can be popped into the door of your fridge for you know thirty minutes to cool it down a little bit further, um, and then the red can just sit out. You know. Can almost be consumed immediately, but um, certainly, you know, lighter reds, um, Pinot Noir, Gamay, um, a lot, some a lot of the Italian varieties, etc., can be served a little cooler as well. So just kind of keep that as you know, fifty five degrees is kind of the middle of the road. It's pretty ideal for storage, long term storage, and it's pretty close to ideal for drinking a lot of wines as well. When you think about it, with you know, a few degrees on the other side of yeah. the spectrum. Um, maybe this is a dumb question, but on the back to popping the red into the fridge for 30 minutes or so before, 
What if you want to open it ahead of time so it can breathe? Do you open it and then pop it in the fridge? Does it matter? Should I just not be opening it in the bottle to let it breathe? Should I be doing that in a carafe? What's no, that's your advice? a great question. I think um, opening a bottle, just taking its cork out, really doesn't allow the wine to breathe very okay. much at all. So I would say it really doesn't matter. At that point, you could open it and put it in the fridge. You know, the only side effect it may absorb flavors or aromas of things that were in your fridge um, so maybe leave it closed and then if you're really going to talk more about aeration of wine or um, adding oxygen to let the flavors kind of grow and expand then i would say use it a carafe uh, okay. and pour it into you know a pitcher or a carafe to really let it open up You know the saying, if it grows together, it goes together. How do you feel that applies to wine and cheese? Should we be drinking wine from particular from the same region that the cheese is, is produced in? I think that kind of adage is a little less useful when it comes to cheese and wine, personally, in my experience. Um, you know, certainly with local dishes like meats and vegetable dishes, et cetera, I think the, the local wines tend to suit those dishes just by nature. When you look at a country like, um, you know, Italy, France, Spain, where we've been making essentially the same dishes for hundreds and hundreds of years and the same wines as well for a very long time, they tend to kind of just um, meet and merge in the middle and complement one another. Um, but with cheeses, you know, one example of where I don't really believe that local cheeses go very well with local wines is in Burgundy, actually, of all places where I work part of the time. Uh, and I've had this conversation with locals who, of course, don't always agree with me. But Burgundy is known for its wash-drying cheeses. So those are the ones that are kind of orangish, usually in color, and they're the stinkiest and the strongest ones because they've been rinsed usually with brine, often with the addition of alcohol. It could be with wine or with um, brandy, etc., which creates this kind of secondary fermentation on the outside of the cheese. It makes it very stinky, but also very flavorful, lovely cheeses. Um, but the local wines of Burgundy Chardonnays for the whites and Pinot Noirs for the reds really get crushed with these cheeses. Um, you have some lovely cheeses down there, but they're often better consumed, I think, with beer, you know, uh, uh, Belgian-style beers, ciders, um, fuller-bodied wines, or sweet wines, I think, can be fabulous with some of those cheeses from Burgundy. I mean, that's just one example. But on the other side of the coin, you have like this one kind of cliche pairing in France is a Crotin de Chavignol with a Sancerre wine. You know, this is like right in the two regions or, you know, basically in the same place both products are made. Um, and that is just like so cliche because it works really well and it's fabulous. So, I mean, it's not always, but I generally kind of look outside the region. You go to a region like Bordeaux, famous for its wines, well, they hardly make any cheese there. Yeah. Um, so we have to, you know, look further afield um, for, for wines. Now you're making me hungry and thirsty. Okay. Um, so at the end of a meal, it's where we're here in France. It's where we're generally moving on to, to the cheese plate. And I love finishing my meal with the cheese board. But um, it's, it's hard maybe to switch back to white for some people. I mean, it's doable maybe for other people. What's, what's your advice for, for how to pair at the end of a meal? That's a great question. Um, yeah, certainly when the cheese is served, you know, in the traditional style in Europe typically would be after the main dish. Um, the question of going back to a white wine kind of maybe is a bit 
you know, challenging. Um, I've certainly done it. I wouldn't go to like a super dry, very aromatic, fruity wine. Like I wouldn't go to a Sauvignon Blanc or something like that. But you could absolutely go to a fabulous old Burgundy or, you know, a Chardonnay with bottle age and some nice structure um, to that. And that could be served, you know, definitely warmer than what I was even talking about before. You could serve that at 12 or 13 degrees for the white. Um, and that could be really nice. And I don't think that would make too much of a shock going from a red to a white in that sense. I don't really believe so much in that, you know, you have to go in order of, of you know, density of color, et cetera. It's really more about what you're eating and, and, um, and you know, how to best show off the, the flavors and the, both the wine and the food. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, you, for us from elsewhere in the world is serve, serve lighter cheeses as appetizers with your champagnes, your sparkling wines, your white wines, and they're really fabulous. Or if, if you're serving the cheese really in that traditional place at the end of the meal, try it with some sweet wines, uh, which can be absolutely fabulous with, um, with lots of cheeses, certainly blues, but some of those more um, strong uh, washed rind cheeses and harder cheeses can be really delicious with sweet wine. And with the sweet wine, do you um, keep them at the same temperature you would a, a normal white or a little bit? I mean, Great a question. Little... Um, sweet wine generally should be served much cooler than a regular wine. Um, and just that sweet wine for a couple of reasons, the warmth, if it's served too warm, it'll just emphasize the sweetness, which you don't always want because um, it is def definitely a sweet wine. We want to taste the sugar, but we don't want it to be overpowering. And the other thing is that often sweet wines are higher in alcohol, uh, certainly for the fortified wines, um, because we've added alcohol to halt the fermentation. Um, they will be higher in alcohol. And even wines like Sauternes, which are made with a different method I'm not going to go into detail on, um, they're not fortified, but they tend to be higher in alcohol as well um, than, you know, a dry white would be, for example. So by serving a, a sweet wine too warm, you'll emphasize the alcohol aromas and flavor as well. So serve a sweet wine around eight degrees um, okay. or so. That's all good to know. We have some sweet wine at home that we need to do something with. It's, it's been sitting around and it's going to start to get a little bit too old. So I will be trying that. So um, as I was talking earlier about Jennifer and I, we're doing the cocktail and cheese pairing project, and I really like to experiment with different drinks that I'm pairing my cheese with. Like I like cider, especially if it's kind of a little bit of a fruity cider. Um, I don't do a lot with beer, mainly just because I don't drink a lot of beer, but I think there's some interesting possibilities there. Um, and you already sort of touched on this when you were talking about the um, the stinky burgundy cheeses, maybe with a Belgian-style beer. Do you have any other sort of things that you like to pair up with cheese that aren't wine? Yeah, I love – well, I mean, they're kind of wines, but I would say they all fall into the fortified wine category. I think, obviously, port can just work – fantastically with blues. I mean, you go to England at Christmas time and it's Stilton and Port. And I mean, that's just a tried and true uh, f pairing. Um, so try, but you don't always have to do Port. I love Sherry as well. Um, you know, Sherry's had kind of this comeback and certainly in the cocktail world, For I sure, think it's yeah. really been fueled by the cocktail world. Um, but it's an area of the world that in front in, excuse me, in, in Spain that I love a lot and I visited and their wines that I think are just fantastic and have a big character so they can go with cheeses with character as well. So um, things like the Oloroso, dry Oloroso um, sherries can be really lovely with with hard aged cheeses. Um, but we don't have to look even further than here in France. I mean, things like Pinot de Charente, which is a, mm. um, a sweet kind of aperitif that's made um, kind of in the cognac region. It's made basically from a young cognac that's blended with an unfermented grape must or grape juice. That's something 
I don't think most French people would think about pairing with cheese, but it's absolutely fantastic. And it comes in, you know, white, red, and now rosé version. And it can be really delicious with hard cheeses, with washed rind, and definitely with blue cheeses. Um, things like that, even a dry vermouth, I think mm. could be really nice, um, you know, which is obviously coming back because of the cocktail culture as well. Um, and I always keep a bottle of vermouth in my fridge and end up just having a glass while I'm cooking or use it to deglaze a pan. And, you know, kind of the flavors then are echoed in the food you're cooking and, and can be really nice with, with cheese even too. Yeah. Well, I always have vermouth because, you know, I've always got martini makings on hand. But a couple things about what you said. The nice thing about, well, both the vermouth and the Pinot de Charente, um, both of those work really well as an aperitif as well. So like if you are doing your cheese in the way that you want to serve it beforehand, you know, if you're kind of doing it U.S. style, that's nice because I think you can, I think Pinot de Charente makes a very nice aperitif and so does vermouth. So that could work well on, on either end of a meal. And also the nice thing with the vermouth is it's a little bit lower in alcohol than, than you know, if you're just going with spirits. So, you know, you're still kind of keeping things light and you're not kind of going crazy with like a, you know, a full martini or a full cocktail. Um, you've already mentioned a few things that you really like together, but do you have a particular favorite cheese and wine pairing that you would like to share with our listeners? Gosh, that's a hard one. Um, I'm always coming up with new ones. Um, I think something quite fun to try is a wonderful brie, you know, preferably an unpasteurized brie, which I know, I'm not sure where your listeners are all located, but I'm sure they're not all in France. Um, and uh, it's hard to get these cheeses outside of France, usually because we have rules and regulations about, you know, importing them to various countries. But here in France, you can get a brie de Meaux, which is made only about, you know, 45 minutes from Paris and uh, is really fantastic. And I love it with a, a a Blanc de Noir Champagne. Mm. So Blanc de Noir is a, a champagne that's made from only from red skin grapes. So it would be either Pinot Noir or Pinot Meunier or a combination of both of them. So they tend to be much fruitier, more full-bodied, more assertive style. That's kind of a generalization. But uh, I would go in this case with a 100% Pinot Meunier, um, Blanc de Noir Champagne and a Brie de Meaux that's aged, you know, 30 plus days. And it's just a match made in heaven because you've got these bubbles in the champagne to help you kind of cleanse your palate from that rich, creamy, salty, and then the kind of mushroomy notes you get from Brie de Meaux or any good quality Brie um, are echoed in in the winemaking process in champagne as well. That gives you kind of the yeasty, bready notes as well. So I think it's really fun. And most people don't think about that. You know, it's yeah. kind of like when champagne and fried chicken became popular, you know, they're kind of two, they're completely opposite forces, but they go really well together. They do. I like champagne. I like my champagne even with, you know, little potato chips, Pringles. I'm a big fan of champagne and Pringles. Um, so we're also moving into rosé season soon. People are going to start doing rosé all day. So um, what do you have a recommendation for a cheese that goes nicely with rosé? I think the, the thing to keep in mind uh, with any rosé pairings is just keep it simple. You know, rosé wines are beautiful to look at. Some of them are good, some are crap, but we still drink them. We all, even us in the wine industry, you know, drink the stuff um, in the summer and, you know, it's not always the best quality, but it's great and you're sitting outside. And so I think just keeping the cheese pairing simple, I think a lot of the southern goat cheeses with herbs, you know, these kind of lighter style, more herbaceous cheeses go well. Like um, there's one from Corsica called Brand Amour, uh, which is this um, actually a sheep's milk cheese that's coated with the, the underbrush, you know, all the herbs and wild thyme and rosemary and things that um, grow in Corsica. Uh, and that goes really really well with with rosé um kind of just 
puts you right in like in your in the south of France or in Corsica, you know, having a picnic. Which also seems like that is kind of maybe a case of like kind of growing and going together because you're getting those herbs. And there's I know that rosé comes from many, many different places, but we're also used to rosé in Provence. And um, I'm going to wrap up because we're starting to run out of time, even though there's so many more things I want to talk to you about. Um, but the last question I have for you, are you still doing private tours and, and wine education? So if listeners want to do something with you, they can, or are you just too busy with, with the day job? Well, I am still doing some tours, mostly on the weekend and have some tastings and things on a private basis here in Paris on Saturdays, sometimes during the week on evenings. Um, so certainly people can send me an email through my site and I'd be happy to uh, recommend somebody else if I'm not available. Uh, and um, yeah, certainly would be willing to hear from any of your, your listeners. Good. Anything else you, you want to say before we get to signing off? Um, I will be coming to New York and Boston uh, in April. So if you're Burgundy lovers, um, you can have a look at my Facebook page for Paris by the Glass and click like and then uh, find out where I'm coming. Uh, we're doing some wine dinners and some tastings and all kinds of fun things, um, like I said, in New York and in Boston and then Philadelphia as well. So stay oh, in touch. That's very exciting. Um, and I, I do have to say to, uh, to the listeners out there, uh, I don't just hang out and talk to Preston sometimes. I have been on a ch uh, tour to Champagne with him. I have recently just done, he came and did a private tasting for a friend of mine whose house I was also at on the wines of Languedoc. And, uh, and we've done several events together, actually, uh, where he was uh, tasting people through various different wines. So I can tell you he's great. He's, he's really really knowledgeable, but also super nice. So if you do have any interest in that area, I highly recommend you look at Paris by the Glass. And I think that's about all we have to say, all we have time to say on that for now. Um, if you if you like talk, listening or learning more about what to share pear cheese with, Jennifer Greco of Shea Lulu and I are working on a cocktail and cheese project. So you can see more information about that on, on the site, 52martinis.com, or maybe if you follow on our Instagrams. And also, what's super exciting is if you enjoyed listening to Preston, you're going to get him next month, too, because next month we're going to be talking to him about France's role in the wine world. And we're going to be asking, is France really the capital of wine? It's a big cliffhanger. Tune in next month to find out. And um, if you're looking for more cocktail talk in between shows, head to our site, 52martinis.com. If you want to put us in your pocket, download our iOS app. As always, thank you to today's guests and thank you to you listeners for tuning in or downloading. I will put, uh, I will put links to, to Preston's um, projects in the show notes so you can find them there. Additional thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production, to Emily Dilling of Perry Paysan for show notes and web assistance, and she has just resumed her podcast as well here on WRP, so you should um, give it a listen if you haven't before. It's, it's a good one. Thank you to Sun Little for the music we use. Links to all those people will be in the show notes. As usual, remi we remind you to drink responsibly, please. And finally, I'm feeling really sad because I didn't get any new iTunes reviews since our last episode. So I don't have anything fun to read out to you. So it's just a little reminder to say I really do appreciate getting reviews. I love doing the show, but it helps motivate me to do it if I think people are listening and liking it or giving me some feedback. So so give me some more motivation by popping over to iTunes and just leaving a little review of what you think about the show. And until next month, cheers. Yeah.